Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. It's strange that the concept of grace is one that's often misunderstood. Some of us view it as a mystic power. Some of us think of it as something that is only akin to God, but nothing else. But we use that word and derivatives of that word a lot in conversation. If someone is overly and abundantly giving of themselves, we call them gray chus. If someone is uh, very lovely in their emotions, in the way that they participate in things like ballet or dance or choreography, we call them graceful. But what is grace? Grace is akin in, in the Anglo-Saxon mind from which our language derives is, is very closely akin to love. And that's not coincidental. The grace, the words for grace found in your Bible originate both in Hebrew and Greek from a term that basically means to have favor upon or to be accepting of. In the Greek, it goes a step further of having the additional meaning of merciful kindness, the unfailing love of God. And then Paul gives us this definition that he ties into the grace of God specifically. And if you don't have this committed to memory, I challenge you, do so now. Highlight it in your copy of God's Word. Write the reference down in your, the flyleaf of your Bible. But this is something that every Christian should know by heart because it is the way the Bible itself defines grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through what? And that not of yourselves. Now that's an interesting point. Double highlight that phrase. For it is the gift of God. Not of works so that no one can boast. Because if they could boast, that means that they would be filled with pride Thus they would sin and grace wouldn't have an efficacy because you would go from being a recipient of grace to instantly being a sinner all over again. Grace does not engender pride in the person who receives the grace. It engenders pride for, it engenders glory for the person who gives it, namely who? God, through Christ. So how, so theologically we came up with this definition that Grace is the unmerited favor and mercy of God. It cannot be earned. You cannot do something to repay grace. You cannot do something to earn more grace. Grace is something, as, as even in Moses, when Moses, through the, the work of Torah, was talking to the people of Israel about why God loved them, he points out, you are the smallest of all of the surrounding nations, you are by no means the wealthiest or the strongest of all the surrounding nations. In fact, you are the poorest, you are the weakest, you are the smallest. Nevertheless, God chose you for no other reason than He loves you. That's an Old Testament echo of a New Testament reality. God doesn't love you for the things that you do or the things that you are capable of doing. God doesn't 
love you for the amount of money that you give to the works of ministry or for the acts of kindness that you proclaim in His name. He loves you because you are His, because you are His child, because you are made in His image, because you are an heir to His very throne. For those that have not yet become a member of the body of Christ, they're also loved by the Father because they carry His image. And it's our job to introduce them to that grace by introducing them to the person who is the foundation of that grace, which is Christ. Amen? To know Christ is to understand His grace. To make Christ known is to be a not only a protaker of that grace, but a proclaimer of that grace. Please copy that into your notes. Knowing Christ means that you are a partaker of grace. Making Christ known means that you are a proclaimer of God's grace. Grace cannot be earned. Grace is inspired by love. Grace is the foundation through which we have been forgiven. It was grace that marched Christ to Calvary. Not the threat of a Roman lash, not the spear of a centurion. It was grace that put him there out of God's love for you and me. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Also, anything that can be considered by grace has its origins in God, in God alone. And we're going to take a look at some of the stories behind Christ as we're continuing to, to, to bring to bear God's Word now through the Gospel according to Luke. Luke 5, and I believe it begins with uh, verse 12. Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Please go ahead and be there in your copy of God's Word. And as we continue in our exposition... I'm reminded of a, a piece of advice that an old pastor of the faith from, for, uh, from First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, once told to all of his students, uh, Dr. Criswell, who used to say that preaching is about bringing the Word of God to life in the hearing of his people. So that's what these past few services have been about. If you want to add a title to this series of messages, you can add the title, The Images of Christ. Because we're taking a look at how He ministered during His earthly mission and how we also can minister as an echo of His ministry, which is what we're called to do. We are Christians, thus we are Christ-like. So let's talk about His grace that brings healing. Starting with verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, and again, this is still during his Galilean ministry, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, notice this is Luke the physician. Leprosy is a vile and insidious disease. Um, back in this time, we suspect that it was actually, when the Bible uses the term leprosy, we suspect that it's a broad term for a great deal of skin diseases. But the one that they were fearful of more than anything else was what I believe that we would in today's time call Hansen's disease. And I'm looking at one of the nurses just for confirmation. Uh, 
It, it was a vile bacteria-borne disease that they knew, through God's Word no less, was highly communicable. That's why, they were, that's why that you could not touch them. In fact, it was forbidden to have contact with them because they were very, they were considered, one, they were considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean, but that's because if you came in contact with them and this bacteria got on you, stuck like Velcro, you would be, more than likely, you would, you would begin to suffer from it. There was a fear in the minds of the people of this time from this disease to the point that if you show a rash or if you show a discoloration on you, uh, bearing in mind that uh, these were, the, this is the Middle East, you would have to go to the priest who had been specially taught on how to diagnose this condition. And if they looked at that rash or if they looked at that mark of discoloration and they identified it as leprosy, then you were excluded from the rest of the community. In terms of symbolism, um, while they did not consider lepers someone who had contracted this disease because of sin, it was nevertheless used as a teaching tool to describe the effects of sin. Leprosy was a disease. The bacteria literally decomposes the body while it is still alive. Someone who had this was considered the walking dead. Both because of that fact and the fact that this is a very slowly progressing disease that results in the end of life. A hard disease that is kind of analogous to, uh, to cancer in today's time. A person who went to the priest to show them their scar or their lesion and to see whether, whether or not it had this kind of malignancy is similar to any of us going under the knife for a biopsy and waiting with bated breath the conclusion. This was feared. And it was feared to the point that the people who had it, who were diagnosed with it, had to stand outside the community, had to have a, a sign that they cared, had to ring a bell, and had to shout the word, un, unclean. Don't touch me. Stay away from me. In fact, the only people that could come in contact with lepers were other lepers. A vile disease. Symbol of sin. Feared by all. And yet Luke the physician identifies a man who was covered with it. As the image put on screen, probably covered with bandages, trying to keep himself together. This man sees our Savior. And the Word of God continues, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, notice that he doesn't call him Rabbi. He calls him what? Lord. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I'm going to pause here for just a second. This man, number one, he identifies Jesus as Lord. Not simply as teacher. Not, not even as prophet. Not priest, but Lord. And, and another thing, he leaves room for Jesus' office. He leaves room for Jesus' will to be carried out. There are those churches out there, and indeed there are those theologies that claim 
that if you preface with your own prayers, thy will be done, what you're basically signaling to God is that you have a distinct lack of faith. I challenge that. And I challenge that for a multiple of reasons. Number one, if you don't trust in the sovereignty of God to have mercy upon you, what kind of a faith does that say that you have? For it is the will of the Father, will of the Father, that none should perish, but that what? All should come to repentance through Christ Jesus. I would say that that means that God has in His will built in a sense of mercy for those that He loves. Not to mention that this particular story, you know how it's going to end. He apparently has a lot of faith. He casts himself on the ground, knowing in any moment that his own body's natural defenses have been severely compromised. Just by the act of falling upon the floor at Jesus' feet, he might be risking what little is left of his life. Yet nevertheless, he does so that he can show himself humble to the Lord. The same way that Jesus himself, several scenes later, will fall on his faith before his heavenly Father, his face before his heavenly Father, and he will say, Please let this cup pass by me, nevertheless, not by my will, but yours. Thy will, what? Be done. Always respect the will of God. Always respect the will of God. For in the will of God, there is mercy. In the will of God, there is grace. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Unwavering faith. I know that you are the Lord, he says. I know that you have the power. So if it is your will, I'm asking for this mercy. Make me clean. Unwavering faith. Unwavering respect. Knowing that he's in the presence of God and that God is sovereign. How does Jesus reply? Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy had left him. Immediately, the leprosy had left him. Job had a respect for God's sovereignty. Even though he couldn't understand what was going on around him. And his friends and even the lawyer that they had hired... We're trying to tell him, you've been at the cause of this. God is punishing you. Job held fast, excuse me, held fast to the statement in his heart that God giveth, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Nevertheless, what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even if I don't understand, what is going on around me, even if I don't know why I'm going through this hardship, even though I don't understand fully what place God has, nevertheless, I know God has a place, that God has not left my side, that God will not leave the side of the believer, that who, that he, <laughs> be strong and courageous. He will not leave nor forsake. He never slumbers nor sleeps for the sake of the care of his children. 
So even when I don't understand what His will is, I know that there is a purpose and that God is always there. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But that's one of the things that true discipleship has as its hallmark. Write this down in your notes. A true disciple of Christ understands the fact that God's will means that there are some instances where in this fallen world we may be uncomfortable. Sometimes it's because there is a sin on our hearts that God is trying to bring to our attention. Sometimes it's because God is using us as an example for others. Because a true mature disciple of Christ, when they go through hard times, and they will go through hard times, they go through it with a, with a confidence that no one can shake because they understand God's still with them through it. Same way he was walking with Job. Same way he was walking with this leper now. We may go through hard times. We will go through hard times. We may even go through severe persecution. But how we react with that is the difference. Someone without Christ will react as an outlash, answering evil for evil, answering anger for anger. A truly mature Christian will see times of persecution, see times that they think that they've fallen on, hard, uh, on, on, on pain and suffering. They will see those as an opportunity to do ministry first by being a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. By being a non-anxious presence, write that down, in an anxious world. By that I mean that when people are going insane, crazy, being divisive. Does that sound familiar? Republicans can't talk to Democrats. Democrats can't talk to Republicans. I know I usually take a very non-political tack from the pulpit, but I'll just tell you this way. It, it, by being a non-reactious presence in your community, you help to calm down the waters of uncertain times. It's like a control rod in a nuclear reaction. Without you, the thing melts down. But if we are who we are called to be, if we are that non-anxious, gentle, calming presence in, a, in an otherwise anxious time, we can help to smooth the waters to get people to talk to each other, to listen to each other, not to scream at each other, not to put each other in some kind of bubble that says, I'm right, you're wrong, the end, but to actually be a community together what we've been called to be. Second thing, we've talked about this through 1 Corinthians. We've talked about this in other passages of the Bible. Even when things look tough, the mature Christian does not hoard grace to themselves, but they spread it. Let me say that again. We do not hoard grace to ourselves. We spread it. We do not face a pandemic by raiding Kroger's for all the milk, the bread, and the toilet paper for some crazy reason that we can get our hands on. We save room for other families in need because we know for a fact that God will get us through it. Provide for your family, yes, but don't take from the mouths of others. Be a living example of love. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, by all accounts, should have shrieked in terror and flung himself away from this leprous man because, again, ceremonially unclean. But instead, he approached him after he 
showed this amount of faith and showed this amount of respect. And he healed him. And he touched him. An act of compassion coupled with a relationship. We've seen that image a lot of places before. I won't belabor it here, but I want you to pay attention to it. Let's go on. Verse 14, Then Jesus ordered him, Don't tell anyone. In other words, you know I'm the Messiah. Don't spread it because my time has not yet come. Palm Sunday, the time of the fulfillment of the prophets has not yet appeared. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now what is underneath the text here that we don't ordinarily hear about? Jesus is telling him, don't advertise who you know now that I am through faith. Because again, my time has not yet come. But go meet the commitments made in the law by Moses. Show yourself to the priest that he might examine you and declare you clean. Offer the sacrifices for your gladness of God. Again, we do not work to be saved. We do not work for grace. But we work out of a sense of thanksgiving because we what? We had been saved. We were that leper! We were the walking dead in sin. We were scarred with a disease that we could not cure on our own, called sin. Nevertheless, out of His graciousness, Christ looks at us and declares us clean. Christ Himself becomes the sacrifice to us. That means that we may now leave the world of condemnation, leave the leper colony that is worldly living, and we might become part of the body of Christ. Go, rejoin the community. Offer yourself as the praise and thanksgiving. Your life is the living sacrifice. It's the way that we can take this on a spiritual level. Not to be saved, but because we have been saved. Praise, thanksgiving, obedience. But I want you to also notice this. How many people do you know, do you think in this time period would journey all the way over to the temple, having been covered in leprosy, only to show themselves now fully healed from it. In all of the Old Testament, in the several thousands of years of recorded history that is the Old Testament, there were only two examples. One of them was a Syrian soldier. Another one was Miriam, Moses' sister. That's it. So by simply going to the priest, declare, being declared clean, offering those sacrifices, he was also proclaiming that there was a Messiah somewhere in Israel. Maybe not by his own word of testimony, but just by demonstrating the fact that he had been healed. He was setting up the story that would trouble the Pharisees, as we'll see in this next story, this next part of Luke chapter 5. Jesus, his fame had grown all the more. And in verse 16, we also read that Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed to prepare himself for what was to come. This is another, uh, I know I'm just going based on the story here, but I want you to note down in your words too, take time to pray. Take time to pray. Take time to prepare. Take time to have a relationship with God, a, a once-a-day appointment with the King of Kings, which is your right. 
a moment of silence and solitude, a moment where you can just talk to him and enjoy his love for you. Now let's talk about something that we often emphasize, grace that brings forgiveness. One day when he was teaching, and again, after this, these few scenes, crowds have started to come in and to, to try to vie for Jesus' attention. One day when Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judah and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. I want you to notice from their point of view here that the, the fame of Jesus, the, the stories of His teaching, the stories of His compassion, the story of His miracles had spread so far that there was trouble in Jerusalem. Trouble to the point that they were sending out people, members, scribes, Pharisees, and so forth, to hear this guy, to jot him down, to figure out what kind of a heretic he was. Verse 18, some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him onto his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now let me step back and try to set this scene again for you. Because back in Israel at that time, houses were not large affairs like we have today. Houses didn't in fact have slanted roofs. Houses had flat roofs. Remember, this is an arid desert climate. So a lot of times you would have your kitchen, you would have your eating area, you would have your hearth, you would have your bedrooms and so forth inside the house, but the upper roof of the house was actually used as a kind of a gathering place, of what we would use a living room, a place for the family to gather and to enjoy each other's company, to invite their neighbors over and so forth, and take advantage of the evening cross breezes that would keep you cool. And it was often accessed by either a ladder coming from the inside of the house leading to another smaller covered room, or from a, a thatched ladder or staircase off to the side. Now the people in Jerusalem had heard of all these healings, and they had dispatched members of the Pharisees, people who were legalistic, people who were concerned, who were zealous for this proper teaching of Israel, people who were hypocrites, who were so in love with the law that they didn't have time in their hearts for grace. And so had missed the point of the Bible, and Jesus calls them out for that in several locations. But the Sanhedrin, the, the high official austere court of all of the, the religious authority in that day sent these people out from the neighboring communities to hear this guy, to see why he was attracting these crowds of thousands. And as he was taking time to preach to them in, someone, in the interior of somebody's house to take advantage of the shade for a little while, the crowds had not only gathered in and were sitting at his feet in this house, but they were out several hundred feet in front of the house, getting as close as they can to try to hear the words of the Master. And there was this paralyzed man. It may have been paralysis because of another ailment. It may have been because he took a tumble and fell and, and, and severed his spinal column. The man could not move. The man could not walk under his own power. 
Presumably, he couldn't even use his hands because they had to carry him on a stretcher everywhere he went. But nevertheless, before his, his, his paralyzed condition, he had apparently accumulated several friends, several dear friends to him. Because as, they were, as we're about to see, they were really devoted to this gentleman. And they circle around him and more or less they probably tell him, we have heard news of this guy from Nazareth who's within our community, who's preaching right now. The deaf can hear. The blind can see. The leper has been made whole. We want to take you to him because there's a chance he can restore you too. And you could probably imagine the look on their faces when they go in the city and they see the house where he's preaching and there are people surrounding it. But instead of giving up hope, they smuggle him to a ladder, probably a thatched group of logs. And they find a way to sneak him up the ladder onto the top porch. And they get this idea. So faith-filled were they in the healing ministry of Jesus. Probably that they have seen him do. That they start taking the tiled stones off of the roof. Can you imagine the look of the Pharisees, the incredulity of these learned men of Israel as they start thinking about seeing dust starting to fall from the ceiling? What's going on up there? They're trying to listen to the king of kings teach, even though they don't know it at the time. And the roof opens up and sunlight starts to stream in. And to their amazement, a gentleman is being lowered on ropes with a stretcher until he lays at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just say, stand up and walk. Jesus doesn't say, peace be healed. I want you to notice what Jesus says. Your sins are what? Forgiven. Apparently that was, the, his condition was the consequence of something that he had done earlier. But out of this demonstration of a vast faith, your sins have been forgiven. Not only that, but the master calls him friend. And you can almost hear the whispers in the background as the Pharisees start to mumble and murmur. What did he say? He's a rabbi. He's not even a real rabbi. He's one of those traveling evangelists. He cannot forgive sin. Only who? Only God can declare someone free of sin. Blasphemy! Nevertheless, in this scene, God is going to get a great measure of glory. The Pharisees, verse 21, and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking and asks, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? He's a paralyzed man. Which is it easier to say? Is it easier to ask somebody with a severed spinal column to walk? 
Or is it easier to proclaim your sins have been forgiven? And there's no right answer for this. There is no right answer for this. Now we think practically in one way it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you cannot see physically an immediate consequence. But for the person that declares it back in this time in Israel, there was a definite consequence because the Pharisees were right now, I guarantee you, stooping down to pick up stones. Jesus had put his own life on the line to forgive this guy his sins. Because anyone who caught in such a blasphemy identifying themselves as God, in effect, was to suffer the death penalty then and there. So that is not, in all reality, an easy thing to say. Neither is it an easy thing to tell someone, get up and walk, when they're paralyzed. Not easy unless you happen to have the power to do it. Which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, now asserting Himself as the Son of God, has the authority to forgive sins on earth. So He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, as a demonstration of His authority as well as His power, I tell you, take up your mat and go home. Immediately He stood up in front of them, took what He had been lying on, And went home what? Praising God. How many of us have been in that state? We may not have been paralyzed physically. We may have been paralyzed by guilt. Paralyzed by shame. Paralyzed by stress. Paralyzed by hopelessness. But at one point in time, all of us have had something burdening our hearts to the point that we can't move. That we can't simply see anything of blessing before us. Nevertheless, God insists He is still there. And His grace is sufficient. The Apostle Peter tells us this. talking about the ministry that we have no matter the location. He's talking specifically here to to people who are in slavery. And he's not condoning slavery. But he's saying that no matter what circumstances that you find yourself in, do everything you can to bring glory to God. And he says that through this, this line of poetry. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to the hands of his father, in other words. He himself bore our sins in his body and on the cross so that we might die to sin. And he's quoting there from the passage of the prophets where it says, Uh, that uh, by His stripes we are what? Healed. By By His wounds you are healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Even in the darkest times in our lives, God has not left our side. 
whether it's physical pain or mental pain, whether it's the paralysis of your limbs or the paralysis of the mind, the emotions, God does not leave your side. We may not always understand why we're going through the things that we're going through. But we can be confident in this. The same God, through Christ, who offered healing to that leper, the leper that said, if you are willing, the same God that journeyed alongside the paralyzed man who had that kind of faith, whose friends had that kind of faith, that they would rip apart someone else's roof just for that chance. We might not have as miraculous a healing, but we have the opportunity for a healing. It might be the healing that says, no matter what circumstances, I can stand with confidence because Christ is with me. It might be the confidence to say that if God brings me to it, it is God who will carry me through it. It might be the confidence to say, yes, even though I'm going through this, I can't expect a healing. Know that God is always by your side. The same way that he was by the side of Joshua so many millennia ago, that same God has not changed. He walks with you today, teaches you to be strong and courageous through all of life's circumstances. And that no matter what the challenge is before us, he is always there. And just as he answered Paul's concerns with the thorn in his flesh, he tells us the same thing. The very God who created all that is tells us to this day, my grace is sufficient for thee. If you've ever been a beneficiary of that grace, would you say amen? Heavenly Father, as we close now the service of the Word, and as we move towards the time of invitation, as our musicians come forward, bless their voices to sing praises to you. And bless our hearts by examining us and finding us as you will. Lord, we believe Give us the same healing, either a healing of the body, a healing of the heart, or a healing of the mind, that in all things we know that your mercy is there. We know that your will and your sovereignty has for us an eternal healing. But for the here and now, if there are any among us who are paralyzed by guilt, who are paralyzed by shame, who are paralyzed by hopelessness, who are paralyzed by facing circumstances that are outside of their control. They need your healing too. They need your reassurance. They need an overwhelming sense of your love. And I ask that you would impart that on them this very moment. As we lift our concerns to you, both spoken and unspoken, heal us, O Lord. And for any who, like the leper of old, are eaten alive by their sins. Those who are separated from the body of Christ, those who do not know fully your embrace or even you as a personal Savior and Lord, 
Use this time to draw them close to you. Use this time to tender yourself to their hearts and to draw them into a full assurance of salvation that only you can provide. Open this time of invitation for all who need your prayer, who all who need a, 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 a sense of recommitment and a hope for a tomorrow in your arms. Please be with us now and draw to those all who you will. In the most holy name of Christ, the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.